Reentry, recidivism, mass incarceration, criminal justice reform. Yeah, these have all become popular topics in the past 15 years. It seems that a lot of experts have emerged and everybody has an opinion and a program to solve it all. I've been on the ground in prisons and on the street doing the work for the past 34 years. And I want to introduce you to others who are on the front lines grinding it out every day. I'm Rocky DeYoung, and this is Kicking It Off the Grid. And welcome to the first episode of Cog Skills. No, not C O G, cognitions, but K O G, Cog Skills, as in kicking it off the grid skills. These are the things we've learned over the past three decades, and we believe they'll help anybody interested in reentry work get grounded. Uh, understand what's happening and get a whole lot better at what they're doing. So in this episode, we're talking about yeah, this little issue of institutional change and recidivism. Yeah, go big. Why, why start small? <laughs> so over the past few decades, I've had the opportunity to work for and with a number of institutions. They've ranged from faith-based nonprofits to state and federal correctional systems. All of these were trying to reduce recidivism and claim they had a solid grasp of the issues, whether it was evidence-based practices, so EBP, the latest in cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, the power and influence of the federal court, or, on a larger scale, even God's favor. Everyone seemed to have an angle, and given enough time and money, they would put a dent in the high rate of recidivism. So there's that word recidivism. What do we mean by that? If you Google that, you're going to find this definition. Recidivism is the act of a person repeating an undesirable behavior after they have experienced negative consequences of that behavior. Uh, Translated, that means recidivism is the act of a person committing crime after they've been sentenced to prison for a crime. At least in our context, that's what it is. 
It also is used to refer to the percentage of former prisoners who are rearrested for a similar offense. I use that word prisoner. We'll, we'll get back to that in a bit. So, in a nutshell, recidivism is the measurement you decide to use that tracks how many people have gotten out of prison and have returned. It, that's the narrowest definition. So what we usually see is that the standard is a three-year span because you need enough time to have a valid measurement. A three-year span then where you take a group who've been released and you track how many have gone back into prison, usually on a new felony. Granted, there's these other subcategories. So you might be measuring people who were arrested you might be measuring people who were arrested and convicted. You might be measuring people who returned to prison on a technical violation. And you might be measuring people who've returned on a new felony. So since it's somewhat complicated, when you read or hear somebody talk about recidivism, you need to dig a little deeper and find out just exactly what they mean with that. So, for example, uh, years ago I was reading on a faith-based reentry website that they had an 8% recidivism rate. Well, nobody has that, uh, well, at least at the time. And I knew these people, and I knew that they had a halfway house of sorts with eight people living in there. And they'd only had it for a couple years. So you're telling me with an, that figure of 8% recidivism rate that you've had enough people go through your halfway house for a long enough period that you had enough data to come up with this figure of 8%. And to add to this complication is I knew they didn't keep any data. So where did they pull that number out of? So again, when you come across that term recidivism, do some digging and find out how they're defining it, and then, and then you're fine. I mean, you know their numbers relate to their definition. So a number we use quite often is every year in the United States, uh, at least pre-COVID, you had about 700,000 people being released annually from state and federal prisons. That's a lot. And if, let's say, in 2015 you tracked all 700,000 of them for three years, by 2018, 500,000 out of that same group would be back in prison on a new felony. I'll let that sink in for a while. A new felony. Now that doesn't take into account technical violators, doesn't take into account endless other categories, folks who were arrested and not convicted, folks who were arrested uh, and they plea bargained, uh, so they came back under some other category. Uh, it's just straight up 500000 on a new felony. 
So that's kind of why I focus primarily on reentry. Other people have other um, front end type work they do to uh, deal with mass incarceration and all these other issues. But I'm focusing on this reentry piece, and so I should probably, and you should probably, if you're engaged in this work, you should know how recidivism is defined and what's actually happening out here. So working within these structures was highly educational and tremendously frustrating. So I often found myself in what I call a happy funk. I don't mean funk in a James Brown, the Funkadelics, Bootsy Collins, I mean, that, that's a good funk. But a bad funk is almost like depression. And yet there's a happy part of it. That's how messed up you can get. And I'm sure many of you can relate to the struggle as it seems to be the norm these days. You have progress, and then it's followed by regress. This tends to wear people out, and they soon settle for mediocrity. They just want to go to work, get home, make sure nobody got hurt, uh, and get up and do the same thing the next day. And the issue then becomes a matter of attrition as you debate the worth of this entire endeavor. The value of your time and the need to maintain a reasonable amount of sanity. The happy funk routine can only go on for so long until you realize your lack of sleep and cynical disposition is rubbing others the wrong way, especially people you live with. The need for institutional change is clear and take a genius to see that, especially in the criminal justice world. And there's no small amount of people talking about it. It's great to hear dialogue happening and even the right issues being discussed. But hey, we've been down this road before. I've got three decades worth of hearing about new programs that are accompanied by new acronyms and terminology. So we've gone from prisoners to inmates to offenders. And then we put an X in front of those. So we've got ex-inmates, ex-offenders, to justice-involved individuals, to returning citizens, and really nothing's changed. So we seem to live in a society now that believes If you just say the right words and attach some sincerity to them, things will change. Uh, No, they won't. Words and emotions need positive, constructive action. We see this so often with systems and organizations that say they have a program, but actually they do very little. There's no shortage of check-the-box programs, just Go into any prison, go into any system, and you find the boxes checked, but nothing of real significance has happened. So I'm going to make a statement. Uh, 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 uh. 
no significant change is going to happen with the institution, whether that be prison, probation, halfway house, work release, as long as we rely on and look for the change to come from within the institutional structures. All right, that'll preach, but I'll say it again. Oh, 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 oh. No significant change is going to happen within the institution as long as we rely on and look for the change to come from within the institutional structures. Now that's kind of the funk part, but here's the happy part. Having said that, I'm okay with it. The systems are designed to do exactly what they do, so I'm okay with that long as I can accept that. We spend so much energy trying to convince the public and the institution that there needs to be radical change and that it must come from within. So I say, how's that working out for everybody? Keep going down this road and you'll understand what a happy funk is. Here's another statement. The change will only come when the private sector gets involved on a professional level. So what do I mean by that? We need well-educated, experienced practitioners from the private sector who are not subject to the endless layers of bureaucracy and limitations that are part of the fabric of corrections. Well-educated means understanding the difference between state, federal, and county systems having a firm grasp of the internal and external barriers that most individuals face upon release from prison, systemic and cultural awareness, as well as the effects of trauma, poverty, and a host of other issues. It also requires a physical presence in a number of communities as well as institutions. Holding a pencil while parked behind a desk just ain't going to cut it. Interestingly enough, these are not things that a criminal justice degree offers. It's just one more thing the private sector can provide by way of internships and training. My suggestion then is that we let them do their job. And by them, I mean the system. Uh, they can provide public and institutional safety. And we'll handle the rest. This way, both entities are free to do their job, and nobody has to reinvent the wheel. My theory is this. Better educated and highly motivated reentry work from the private sector should produce at least two outcomes. So number one, better numbers that are real when it comes to recidivism. 
Okay, and number two is better informed and prepared individuals who leave prison. So by better numbers, I mean people are not going back to prison because they're not getting arrested for criminal activity. And they're not getting caught up in all the technical violations. Remember, recidivism is a measurement that usually refers to going back to prison on a new felony within three years or revocation due to technical violations. Now, there are studies out now that stretch out to five years, and some are eight years that I'm looking at. I think the five-year measurement went from roughly 70% to the upper 80s. So the longer people are out with a criminal history, uh, the higher the odds that they're going to go back on a new felony. And... I believe that's due to um, relying on the system to do it all by themselves. Uh, Maybe having people in the private sector who are not aware of the things they should be addressing. Or the individual just does not want to change. So the focus now is adjusting to the legit world once you get out and learning how to accomplish what you're after without criminal activities. And that's a new thing for a lot of people. Having better informed individuals leaving prison is key. That's number two. So that means you have to do pre-release work. Uh, I have went to a federal prison years ago. Uh, they asked me to come in and participate in a re-entry class since I'd been doing it for a few decades. And I walked into the class, and it was already in session, and it was being taught by an inmate that had been down for 18 years. He had never experienced reentry. And I thought, huh? <laughs> I respect the effort, but I'm pretty sure we can do better. So maybe have somebody who's out there rolling in the reentry world come in and teach the class. That was kind of a new concept. We started that uh, in 2016 and became regulars there. So we need to get inside and do some pre-release work. We also then need to intersect with these people leaving prison, both men and women, and we now have the knowledge to navigate the system that always seems to find their weakness. And pre-release should be so much more than get a job, stay away from felons, and remain in compliance. So what about all those people that go back on technical violations? You'll, You'll hear and read this often. Oh, I went back to prison because uh, I missed an appointment. Or I failed a drug test. Well, I've I've known a few individuals over the years that have been sent back to prison due to non-compliance issues. And some have been very minor. But it's very rare. And there's usually a lot more going on below the surface that you're not aware of. So again, I've been part of the system, I've been part of the private sector, and for three decades I know very few people other than folks who are on intensive supervision, 
They may have taken a treatment program inside of prison, RDAP on the federal side or triad on the state here in Minnesota. And you got a year off of your sentence for taking this programming, but you signed an agreement saying, if I get out and I test dirty while I'm on the supervision, I'll be sent back immediately and I'll be finishing out that year they gave me off. This doesn't usually show up in the discussions about technical violations. So um, there are people caught in the game of catch me if you can. Uh, Why can't I do what I want to do? And hey, they didn't do anything last time this happened. Uh, All types of excuses. That's not to say the system sometimes does not come down hard on people when they don't need to. But hey, they're, they're at their wit's end. They don't have a whole lot of options out in the public, other than the traditional stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll do a podcast on that in the near future, where we've, we've helped the system out by giving them options. So we hear the public when they talk about revocation, and they react to the wrong issues. And the the need here is to offer someone a way to get through your time on paper and to give probation alternatives when it comes to sanctions and revocations. That's the private sector stepping up. That's the system, both offenders and corrections, taking a different path. That's what I call institutional change. So I realize the issues I'm addressing are not necessarily on the front end of the criminal justice system. Again, I focus on reentry and recidivism, while others take on mass incarceration and all its complications. One reason I do this is that here in Minnesota, about 50% of the admissions every year into our state prison are release violators. Individuals out on community supervision that have violated the terms of their release, which they're aware of. And our federal probation experiences about a 74% revocation rate with just their high-risk probationers. So clearly we have an opportunity to do something different. And with many states experiencing drastic cuts due to the economic shutdown in the last few years, we might be positioned to collaborate on a different level. So we're just starting to experience prisons opening again here in Minnesota. Uh, I just spent the last two days in a federal prison talking about employment and reentry because those are not separate issues. It's the same thing. So people, uh, improve your knowledge of systems. Improve your knowledge of the individuals that you're trying to serve and help. Uh, If we do this and we're organized and we're educated and we're always learning and adjusting, if you do this, you just might avoid the happy phone. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And check out our website at montagerentiesolutions.com for trainings, consulting, and materials you might need to up your game. This has been a Smart Compassion production made possible by Montage Reentry Solutions. Take care and live life, people.